Welcome back to the Whip Around, the latest weekly women's basketball show on Swish Appeal, hosted by myself, Sabrina Merchant. We have less than one month left of the WNBA season, and rest assured, plenty of time to cover all of the delicious playoff seeding races that are happening over the next four weeks. But today I wanted to talk about something that came up last week after WNBA All-Star, and that was the suggestion that the WNBA should host the event every year in Las Vegas. Now, the argument for hosting the event in Las Vegas is pretty clear. The Aces and their franchise, owned by Mark Davis, are extremely willing to host said event. And the city of Las Vegas has the capacity to do so pretty easily, as was discovered in 2019 and 2021. And during the same time as All-Star Weekend, there happens to be another big basketball event in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Summer League of the NBA. And theory goes that with so many basketball fans already in the city, it would be a great showcase for the WNBA if they also had one of their premier events happening at the same time. Now, at first blush, I am immediately supportive of this idea. I really enjoy NBA Summer League. I would love to be able to combine that with the WNBA All-Star Weekend. And to have more basketball in one location at the same time seems like a win, just a huge win. But I guess we have to consider how this makes the WNBA look when it is hosting an all-star game, one of the pinnacles of its sport, next to an NBA Summer League, which all due respect to the individuals competing in Summer League, it's not like the NBA Finals or the very best and brightest of the NBA are on the court in Las Vegas. These are rookies, sophomores, and players simply competing to get a contract who are on Summer League teams. So to put those two events in direct proximity to one another might devalue what the WNBA is bringing with an all-star game. And there's also the question of whether the WNBA simply wants to tag along with what is already an NBA space at Summer League. The fans who are coming there aren't necessarily basketball fans, they're NBA fans, and maybe the majority of them wouldn't have interest in an all-star game hosted by the WNBA. Which all just brings into question the larger idea of the relationship between the WNBA and the NBA. The NBA funds a great deal of the WNBA. It owns about 42% of the league, less than half after the most recent capital raise of $75 million that the WNBA announced prior to the 2022 season. Several of the ownership groups in the WNBA are the same as their NBA counterparts in the same city. And of course, the WNBA wouldn't exist if David Stern and the NBA hadn't decided to create it as a sister league to the NBA 26 years ago. But what role should the NBA have with the WNBA going forward? I mean, that's a question I can't really answer in the five-minute intros I do on these weekly podcasts, but it's something I've been giving a lot more thought to. Because there are NBA ownership groups who do a wonderful job of supporting their WNBA teams. Joe Tsai has brought in a huge influx of investment to the New York Liberty. I mean, arguably too much considering the fact that they were taking chartered flights when it was in violation of the CBA last year. Phoenix, Minnesota, and Washington have all thrived 
under the same umbrella as their NBA teams, more so than their corresponding NBA teams. The Wizards and the Wolves and the Suns would kill for the level of success that the Mystics and the Lynx and the Mercury have had in recent years. That isn't to say that we should want those ownership groups out of the WNBA, although I do think that the case with Robert Sarver is a little bit different. But does that mean that we need the NBA to be propping up the league as a whole? Are there enough ownership groups who would be willing to sustain 12 WNBA franchises or more based on the recent expansion rumors without having to rely on the NBA? Is it better for the league to create its own footprint, irrespective of its men's counterpart? I think a lot about the WNBA with relation to the NWSL. The Women's Soccer League in the U.S. is only 10 years old, although it comes on the heels of a couple other failed professional women's soccer ventures before it. But it has no direct relationship with the MLS. And that doesn't mean that they didn't have to tie themselves to somebody else when they originally began the NWSL. They tethered themselves to the U.S. Women's National Team, a very, very successful and popular entity within the United States. But now they're breaking away from that relationship. They don't have a relationship with the corresponding men's league. They just exist in and of themselves. And this isn't to say that the NWSL is a perfect league. We've seen a horrifying number of harassment cases around coaches over the past year. There are obviously a lot of things that the NWSL wants to work on, but I think its model of independence is something really interesting. And maybe that's a route that the WNBA could consider moving forward. I don't exactly know how you disentangle yourself from all of the NBA, but I think it's pretty clear that the NBA has higher priorities on its list than the WNBA. Well, the only thing Adam Silver mentions about the WNBA is that it loses money. I don't think that's the person you want in charge of promoting your league and building it up to be the best that it can be. So yeah, maybe it's not such a great idea to hitch the WNBA's all-star wagon to NBA Summer League. Even if I still do believe that Vegas would put on a great product that would have a lot fewer concerns than what happened in Chicago this year. Vegas is just a really great spot for basketball, and that includes women's basketball. And Maybe I didn't need to start a grand discussion about the relationship between the NBA and the WNBA because of that thought. But it's something that I'm going to be considering a lot going forward. So if you have any thoughts on the subject, please share them with me on Twitter. I'm at SabrinaJM. With that said, today's big topic on the whip round is one of those teams that is co-owned by an NBA team, the Washington Mystics. My guest today to talk about the Mystics is Kareem Copeland of the Washington Post, who is the Mystics beat reporter and travels around the country covering the Mystics all season. Rest assured, we did not spend any time talking about the relationship between the Mystics and the Wizards, but rather how Elena Deladon and the Mystics can recapture that 2019 form that saw them win their franchise's first WNBA title. I've had some questions as to why the Mystics, who employ a lot of the same personnel as the 2019 team, haven't been able to capture the same offensive magic that group had. And Kareem was really helpful in explaining the evolution of the Mystics over the last three years, and specifically what we can expect this team to look like for the rest of the 2022 season. I'm very excited to be joined by Kareem Copeland of the Washington Post, who covers the Mystics. Kareem, how are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. How's everything going on the West Coast? 
it's good. You were just here. Uh, we met at Sparks Mystics a couple of times. Uh, nice little split for both teams. I'm sure the Mystics are very interested in how the Sparks are doing this season. <laughs> Every game they're watching. <laughs> oh, man, I, I love the idea of owning other teams' draft picks. It just creates so many wild incentives for the rest of the season. Oh, absolutely. It's always fun. I mean, trades in general are always fun. Flopping draft picks is always fun having the option to do so or not throws on a whole nother little interesting tweak in it so yeah you know the mystics are sitting there watching i asked tebow a couple times i said is gm tebow watching la quite closely he said yeah he said you know i usually don't like to root against other teams but this time is a little bit different so <laughs> um yeah it, it, everybody's watching very closely you know i mean we um, you know, the organization and everybody saw what happened last year, you know, they just barely missed the playoffs ends up with a lottery pick, which ends up getting, being number one. So you never know if you've got a lottery pick, you never know what could happen, especially coming out next year with a, um, what's expected to be a strong draft. So, um, yeah, everybody's watching closely. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that even if LA does not get a lottery pick, they will be swapping with mystics. Like, that is going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> Yes, yes, that's that's true. <laughs> either either way, I guess I guess I'm so focused on the lottery stuff. I I kind of forgot about hey, it's going to be a better pick regardless. So there, it, it is going to be a flop flip regardless. It'd be nice to jump up from eight to one, I'm sure, but eight to five is still exactly. still a nice little jump. Uh, but speaking nice of jump. speaking of lottery picks, the Mystics obviously did very well for themselves in last year's lottery. You know, getting the number one pick and then turning that into Shakira Austin and the rights to swap this upcoming 23 pick with the Sparks. And I wanted to start things off with Shakira Austin because, you know, I'm, I'm watching the start of the season and I'm thinking, oh God, Mike Tebow made a huge mistake. Like Ryan Howard looks amazing. <laughs> uh, they're going to regret this for a very, very long time. And yet, you know, Shakira just keeps plugging along, plugging along, you know, her impact numbers for this season are outstanding. I thought she should have gotten far more all-star consideration than she ended up getting, to be perfectly honest. You tell me, like, what, what are people talking about regarding Shakira and Washington? What do they see in her? How do they see her developing as her career goes on? Um, they're absolutely loving her. You know, the whole thought process in the beginning, um, even when they flipped picks was, hey, it doesn't matter who we get either at number one or number three, that that person isn't going to play a ton this year anyways. That was the whole thought process coming in, that they're going to play, you know, just a reserve role and and not be expected to do much and had plenty of time to um, develop. Well, mm-hmm. Shakira's played so well that she's been the starter pretty much all season. It's a little bit strange situation, but they're, you know, they're overjoyed with it. She's just come along a lot faster than anybody expected. Really, the person who's... Um, biggest affected by that has been Elizabeth Williams. You know, she signed during the offseason to be the starter. And um, quite frankly, Shakira has played so well that she's put Elizabeth um, in a reserve role coming off the bench. Uh, it all starts with her defense. They absolutely love her defense. And, and they knew um, they knew that was a huge plus coming in. But I think it's been even more than anyone expected. Uh, Tebow explained it the other day. He said that, you know, that she's, that she's been pro ready on the defensive end and that the offense will come and they're not even worried about the offense, but she's been legitimately one of the better post defenders in the league. I mean, she's going up against from the very beginning. We, we all took notice. I think it was the second or third game of the season 
they had to play uh, Minnesota and Sylvia Fowles, and she locked up still. Um, and then the games keep going on, and she faces an Asia Wilson. And, and just the other night, um, Liz Cambage, she played really well against her. So all these bigs, night on night, that you know are some of the best players in the league, Shakira has has, has kept them in check, and she's one of the reasons that you know this is the number one defensive team in the league right now. And so that's been the huge bonus. They don't run anything for her offensive. And so that you'll have nights where, you know, it's kind of, you know, she's just feeling it and it clicks and, um, you know, she's, you know, double digits, 15 points, something like that. But the, the impressive part about that is they're literally running no sets or whatever she gets. So whatever she gets is, um, you know, coming off a pick and roll or, or um, going and getting an offensive rebound or just, you know, in the flow of the game. But, you know, they're not calling her number at all. So. All of that has been um, quite impressive. I think she's shown a little bit more range than they expected. You know, she's been able to step out to elbow and a little bit beyond, not all the way beyond the arc, but she's been pretty good shooter going out to the elbow and a little bit farther mid-range there. So all of that, you know, it, it, they, it hasn't been necessarily, I think Tebow would say it hasn't been a surprise, but it's been better than expected. And and teammates have just loved her. She's got a great personality. She's fit in really well here. So she's dealing with a little bit of a bum ankle that that she kind of that's been bothering her. And then she rolled it in practice the other day. But she played the entire game yesterday, taped it up. It was all good and and played pretty dang good defense against Sill again. So her, her biggest strong suits at the moment is on the defensive end. But, you know, you have those nights where she gets going offensively, too. Yeah, that's what's so impressive to me about Shakira is that she fits the mold of this big center, right? Like she's 6'6", I think, and Mm -hmm. has the size to really capably match up with Liz and Syl, but then also just has that foot speed where you can do so many other things with her on defense. Like she's not super overmatched if you get her switch out on the perimeter and she has the, you know, lateral mobility to keep up just in a variety of different kinds of schemes. And that Mystics defense as a whole, I've been super impressed with because you expect a team that has Elena Deladon and Carol Atkins and Natasha Cloud to be good offensively. And then yet, um, <laughs> I, I think EDD, honestly, is just highly underrated defensively. And uh, so underrated, just like a real menace in the post, honestly, <laughs> like just it's, getting it's, blocks out of nowhere. <laughs> blocks out of nowhere. It's so funny because I was I've been saying that the last couple of weeks it because, it, you know, she's not going to overwhelm you, but. She, she slides over at the right time, at the right spot. Um, you know, I think people underestimate her and think they can kind of go over her. And, and she's got, she's just long enough and has just enough hops to, to um, get her hands on the ball. I mean, I've been, she's been a much better shot blocker this year than I expected, um, particularly her coming off of the last two years. Uh, so, yeah, that's why they've been said. They've got the three defenders on the outside. Um, Elena's been better than expected. And then Shakira has just been um, a monster in the post. So all of those good perimeter defenders, you can let them be aggressive out there knowing that, you know, Shakira will block a shot too. Obviously, you know, she'll toss something in the stands with the quickness. And so Mm -hmm. you've got her and Elena backing things up behind those three all defensive perimeter players between Clark Atkins and Tosh and that's how you get the number one defense in the league. You know, they've been talking about it all season. They wanted that to be their, they wanted to be that to be their personality. And it really has, I mean, what they held Minnesota to 57 last night. I think that was, that was the lowest amount they've scored all season long. And that was a Minnesota team that I think in their last 
five games. I looked it up yesterday. I think they were four and one and the number two offense in the league. And they got mm-hmm. held to 57 last night. So when that defense is locked in, it's, it, it's tough sledding for everybody. Yeah. I think they just got edged by Seattle in the defensive rankings this morning, just because Seattle, uh, got to play Indiana last night, Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, they're right there. They're right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, you, you just think about that, that lineup and with all the players you just mentioned, plus Shatori off the bench and Elizabeth Williams off the bench, there aren't really weak links defensively. And mm-hmm. like, I know Kayla McBride was talking about You were talking Yeah. We haven't even mentioned Maisha yet. <laughs> and she's, She's a mismatch defensively for everybody because she can do exactly what you just talked. She can guard one through four and even, um, you know, fives who don't have a ton of height. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hard, hard team to try to score against. And, uh, you know, Kayla McBride on that Minnesota Lynx team that we were just talking about, like she had <laughs> tweeted earlier, like, I can't even explain to you what it's like to go up against Cloud Atkins and Clark. Like, it's just something else. Yeah, the hashtag was great. Well, what was it? I just want an open shot, dog. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to take an open shot. Poor <laughs> Kayla. Poor Kayla. <laughs> no, but it, it's it's funny because you think about this Mystics team and the way they were constructed in 2019, and they were just this beautiful offensive juggernaut, and everything flowed so smoothly offensively. And I thought that if they were going to get back to that peak, which I would argue that they have, even if the record is you know not quite like contender-ish, it's they're still playing just fine when Elena Deladon's on the court. The confusing thing to me is that how do they have a below average offense with all of that talent? Like, what, what am I missing here? Well, a lot of it has been, and you hate to keep saying this at this point of the season, but I do think it is a thing where they just had so much roster movement, including Elena being in and out of the lineup so early in the season that I think right before um, I forget what the exact number was, but right before the All-Star break, we were looking and and the minutes that um, the starting lineup that you would expect, you know, Atkins, Cloud, Clark, Deladon, Austin, the, the time that they had been played together on the court was really minuscule in the grand scheme of things, especially to be 25 games into the season. Um, Same thing, you know, with lineup changes early because, you know, Natasha Cloud was out for a while. Ariel, I think, no, Ariel's been there every game. Um, There's AC was still coming off her injury and she missed some time. Um, There was a, you know, Mike was out with COVID. So there's been a lot of people in and out of lineup. Um, either with injury, COVID, or just getting back late. You know, Elizabeth Williams got back late. So all of these things mixed together, I think, has had more of an effect on the offensive end than anything. Every, everybody wants to point back that there's so many returners off this 2019 team. But, you know, a lot of these folks, just because uh, it works really well from a personality standpoint because they know each other and such and things like that. But at the same mm-hmm. time, everybody's game has evolved since then, you know, mm-hmm. Maisha, Maisha wasn't playing in that 2019 was barely playing in 2019. Right. Um, Ariel, you know, was, was a starter. Ariel Atkins was a starter, but she was still not, you know, basically the number two option offensively. You know, she wasn't an Olympian and a two-time all-star at that point. You know, obviously, Elena Deladon has had to shift her game a little bit from what she was pre-surgery to who she is now. Shakira is a rookie, you know. Um, AC has been, Alicia Clark has been finding her, not only finding her 
um, the way she fits in with this new team, but also coming off that foot injury. And so it took a long time for her to just to get healthy and have her legs back underneath her. And, you know, we know she's a knockdown three point shooter, but she's still been struggling with that so far this season. And I think that's more to do with, you know, just her getting healthy and getting back into a comfortable groove. So I think, you know, you, you look at all those names individually and it sounds strange. Myesha, you know, in, in as much as she's blossomed now and grown into who she is, you know, but last year she's been a starter. Last two years she's been a starter and when, mm-hmm. uh, when Elena was out. So now she's figuring out this new role of coming back off the bench and when to be aggressive, when not to be aggressive, how to play with Elena. You know, again, she's a completely different player than she was a couple of years ago. So I think all of those things have still been trying to get get everybody getting used to and getting um comfortable with but the games that are elena that elena is in they seem super comfortable and are starting to you know they it's still inconsistent but the games where the ball's moving you know just a couple nights ago you know when they're when the ball's moving side to side really well and elena commands so much attention that double teams are coming and all of a sudden you know, that, that opens up creases and cutting lanes for everybody else. Um, they look really good at those moments. I think it's just a little bit of, it's just been so inconsistent. And I think a lot of part, a big part of that was due with people in and out of lineup. Big part of that was people learning new roles. But I think at this point, of course, I was the jinx about uh, two games ago. I think it was right before LA or maybe it was in LA. I wrote about, you know, their last five games, their offense had proved dramatically and seemed like they had finally figured things out. And then um, they struggled in the next two of three since I wrote that. So I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take the jinx responsibility, but I think they're, I think they're much closer than they were earlier in the season. And again, the more time you have Elena on the floor, the better off for everybody. And, you know, she was sitting out so much that early part of the season, but now that the schedule is spread out and she's got more rest time, they're expecting her to be on the floor a lot more down this final stretch. So I think that makes clearly having a two-time MVP on the floor makes a world of difference, you know? Yeah. I was reading that piece, the mystics finding their offense at the right time. And I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. It still yeah. looks good. Good, good job, Kareem. Good time. Good time. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I would agree. Like whenever Elena is there, I mean, I was talking to the Sparks coach about this last week and he says she literally disrupts your defense by walking into the building. Like that's the yep. effect that she has because she always commands a double team, right? Like just the pinpoint passing that opens up the threes and then her individual finishing. I mean, Belladon up and unders for days. Like I could watch those forever <laughs> and ever and ever. Day. The yeah. pump fake up and under, the step through. Like she's really been going in her bag recently. Fadeaways. Then you just mentioned her passing. Her passing has been incredible the last couple games. And that's what I mentioned a little bit in that story is when they're really, when they're really going, it's not just the extra pass, the kick out from the post or moving it around the perimeter. They're throwing that kitty corner cross court pass, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, that quick touch pass that moves that, that the defense just can't recover from or the pump fake to move someone and then go the opposite direction with this. When they're really in that flow, they're really dangerous because defense are just scrambling and trying to figure out, you know, it all starts when, you know, you send that extra defender at uh, Elena and then everybody's got in rotation and, and, yep. and you're just chasing. Yeah. The rotations are just chasing at that point. So 
it's it's been like I said when they're when, when they're when they're hitting when they're clicking when they when they find that consistency it's pretty impressive and now it's just a matter of trying to get that every single night yeah and it is just so pretty to watch like aesthetically speaking I I remember falling in love with the WNBA again in 2019 because of how impressive Washington was to watch offensively and even though they look different now, you know, when, when Elena's locked in, like you, you see glimpses of that again, even though this is a markedly different team than it was three years ago, yep. I wanted yep. to get you out on this cream. Uh, obviously like they're, they're coming into form mercury loss. I don't really understand, but the mercury, I don't really understand anything about them this season. So I tend to just <laughs> ignore results against that Phoenix team. It seems like a team that's, you know, well on its way to competing for a title again, regardless of what seed they start in the postseason. So I wanted to know from someone who watches the team more than anybody else, like what kind of matchups do you think are most concerning for this particular Washington squad? I would say teams that feature really dangerous, big wings or versatile posts. You know, we just gave Shakira a lot of credit, but they they match up better against teams that rely more on their perimeter players because you can send an Atkins, a Cloud, and AC, all three of them, at mm. you know whoever's their best perimeter player is, and even if they've got two more that are really dangerous who do a lot of the heavy lifting throughout the year, that's why they've matched up so well. You know, just using we talked about a little bit about Atlanta a minute ago, but they've matched up so well against Atlanta this year because that's their strength is out on the perimeter and teams just have a hard time against the uh, mystics perimeter defenders. So those are, I think those are better matchups for the mystics. Like, like the sun and John are, 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 are a bit of a bad matchup for the mystics, you know, um, I think those, those, those type teams, um, they'll struggle a little bit more with, you know, I, I think a lot of it is going to, we just talked a lot about their offense and they're going to have to score points, you know, figure mm-hmm. out a way to score more consistently either way. But that's what I really look at is, is that Mitch, who's going to be able to score against them. And, you know, they, they, they haven't matched up really well with the sky this year. When Parker seems to just, you know, she's well, she's having an incredible year against everybody year. this year. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so it's so it's hard to say, yeah, well, if they struggle against her, well, who doesn't? But you know, just just the her versatility and the way she plays that position seems to really um give the Mystics uh some problems. They've 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 played well against the aces pretty much, you know. Um you know, between being, you know, because they've got defenders who can play against Plum and, and Jackie Young, even though Asia tends to be a little bit of an issue. But you know what? Um, you were talking about Shakira's mobility earlier today, and I think that is a little bit underrated. And I think that's why she's been able to play pretty well against Asia. Now, Asia still put up numbers against them, but I feel like that's a little bit better of a matchup. Um you know, a, a Stewie, for example, I think they have a hard time matching up with Stewie. They just don't, you know, AC is a little bit smaller mm-hmm. um, and, and and the bigs aren't quite quick enough to, to, to match up with her. So I think those are uh, the mismatches that they have issues with. But if they if they lock up, if, if they run into somebody that's pretty that's pretty perimeter oriented. That's that that's a good matchup for the mystics. Yeah. I mean, I love that our analysis has come down to Candace Parker and Brianna Stewart are hard to guard. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
I probably should have a little bit more in depth than that, but <laughs> no, I, I hear you. I, it's funny. I was asking you that question about like how the mystics have an, a, a below average offense with Elena Deladon. And like, I've had the same questions about Seattle with Brianna Stewart this season. And sometimes, you know, you lean into your defense a little bit and that becomes your identity. And the other side of the court, it's just a little bit more of a slog than it had been recently, you know, but I do think those individual talents like Brianna, like Asia, like Candace are the ones who end up affecting playoff series the most. And the fact that Washington has one of those, you know, just keeps them in any series, regardless of what the matchup is. It's that's, that's basketball on every level, especially when you get to playoff time and, and elimination games and, and your rotations shorten up and you start playing people, you know, you play your starters a little bit longer when you've got those big dogs, those MVP type players, that's when they shine. I mean, across every level of basketball, um, who, you know, who are the teams that are the last one standing? And it's usually somebody with a pretty big, with, with a superstar that can change everything that, that forces opponents to have to adjust everything to trying to slow that person down. And, and a lot of times that person is just such a mismatch that, that it's like, okay, you've, do you have, do you have a mismatch of your own to keep up? And so, uh, yeah, we, we are just literally listing stars that yeah. you know, everybody has a time, a hard time matching up with. But I think this is a Mystics team that is, especially when, when their offense gets clicking, I think they can hang out. They can hang with anybody in this league. And that's what it, sometimes it's as simple as that is, you know, how do you keep Adela Don in check or how do you keep, Candace from going wild and, and we're not even talking about just Candace you know we saw we saw Kalia Copper <laughs> light bulbs yeah. up last year right so so um you know teams with you know multiple threats like that you can say that about everybody but I think especially with this team you know when you can point out you know three all NBA defenders and you're start spotting starting lineup it's like okay who can be a difference maker somewhere else yeah, and uh, that's why I think Washington is right up there with just about anybody. I, I do still have Chicago as my top contender because of the three finals MVPs. Like that, oh, that yeah. kind of helps. I, I have <laughs> yes. seen all of them rise to the level in the highest occasion. And it seems, again, it seems like really reductive to just say like, oh, that talent exists. But we mentioned how defenses have to hone in on one player, but Chicago just seems to have more of those options, you know, when that top player options. is being sidelined. Yep. So, I mean, that, that's a matchup I'd love to see Washington, Chicago. I'd also love to see Washington Vegas, just because of how much fun we had three years ago um, when Vegas was sort of on its up and coming route, but I've already taken up too much of your time, Kareem. I appreciate all of your, <laughs> no, all of your thoughts on Washington. You <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that you want to plug for our listeners? Oh, um, you can follow me at, on Twitter at Kareem Copeland. And um, I'm always in the Washington Post um, weekly. It's going to be a little bit slower this week just because uh, the Mystics are um, have just one game. And I'm going to try to, uh, you know, catch my breath myself. But we've always got pr- plenty of content coming out, plenty of content all the time. So those are two places you can find me. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. 